Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Wow, what it's awesome to get to worship our God together. How are you? Okay, we'll take that. Hey, um, some changes are coming. You ready for some changes? Woohoo! You know, here's, here's what I've understood. We love change when we initiate it. We hate change when it's imposed by others. You know? So, um, here's, here's what's taking place. You know, back in the, at the first of the year, uh, God did a work in us as a family and uh, brought some healing and released some wisdom and some joy and beauty through you guys. And uh, we're, we're starting to see some of that and some of it's going to be unfolding pretty quickly uh, here in the next couple of weeks as um, our, our, our focus group on connection has been really seeking the Lord on how to help us connect better with one another. And we're seeing that happen in our small groups right now that have launched and some really cool stuff going on there. Uh, but they're, they're also been tasked with, I uh, say been tasked, they tasked themselves with helping us get better at connecting with, with guests and first time visitors. So um, here's, here's something that's going to begin occurring. You're going to see something that looks like this showing up soon. The yellow bag. Now, here's the deal. You've got to keep this a secret. Okay? You'll, you'll mess the whole strategy up if you don't keep it a secret. Because what's going to happen is first-time guests, when they get here, are going to receive this easily identifiable bright yellow bag. And so when you see somebody sporting their bright yellow bag, what should you think? Guests. So what should you do? Greet them. But here's how you should do it. You should walk up to them and blow their mind and say, I have discerned that you are a first-time guest. And they'll just think, oh my gosh, this person walks with the word. No. The, um, the, the, just walk up to them and greet them and let them know how, how glad you are that they're here. So that's going to be one of the changes. It'll be coming up maybe the week before Easter or at least on Easter Sunday will be the first time we start unrolling those. But that will be coming soon. Another thing that's going to happen is some of you are going to go ahead. Everybody just moan. Just moan. Oh, okay. Here's what's going to happen. Some of you where you currently park aren't going to be able to park there any longer. I didn't tell you to mom this time. I, you got it out your system. Here's what we're doing. We're, we're going to designate some new parking spaces. Well, no. We're going to designate some old parking spaces we're reclaiming. We're redeeming some parking spaces for first-time guests. We're going to take eight parking spaces and kind of set them aside for first-time guests so they'll be up here close so we can help move them to make connections so they can get their gifts so you can identify them, all those kind of things. So some, some cool, there are other things happening, but those are two that I want to alert you to because now I am going to, um, what is it called when you swear in a, a deputy? Is that what we're going to do? You're all now being anointed and appointed as first time guest welcome team. 
Okay? Look for yellow bags. Look for where they're parking. Even as you're coming into the building, if you see a first-time guest getting out of a car in our, our future designated parking, stop. Greet them. Welcome them. Let them know how glad you are that they're here. Other things are coming, but we'll talk about some more of that soon. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your Bibles. Uh, we're going to uh, dive in. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 today. One of my favorite chapters in the whole of the Bible because my life verse comes out of that. And we're not going to camp on my life verse very long today, but uh, we're going to read a significant portion of scripture this morning. And uh, this is one of those messages where uh, in, normally I try to help you find a tree and we kind of camp out and look at that tree real good. Today we want to look at the forest a little bit. Okay, so, so we're, we're going to draw back. Luke chapter 5, we're going to start reading in verse 4. So if you will read uh, with me. And when he, speaking of Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Verse 12. A few days later, weeks later, we're not sure. But it says, while he was in one of the cities, speaking of Jesus, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged, Jesus charged him, tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed from their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Sometime later, verse 17. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he, being Jesus, saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. 
And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Pray with me. Father God, I come right now and I am asking you, Holy Spirit, I know that you are here, that you fill this place with your presence. And my prayer in these moments, Lord Jesus, is that you would stir your spirit to show us the gospel of Jesus, to show us that it's infinitely wider and infinitely deeper and more magnificent and more beautiful and multifaceted than we ever imagined. Open our minds to the beauty of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the good news that brings for all of us in this room today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, the, the three events that we just read through, um, these three encounters uh, are very, very, or they're some of the earliest encounters that Jesus had when he went public in ministry. And you can go back and read about them in Matthew and Mark as well. They're recorded some a little differently. But here's what I want to do. Again, normally I would take one of these and we talk about it one Sunday, one of these and talk. But, but today, I, I want you to see something that's kind of more comprehensive and multifaceted. And the only way to see it is to draw back and look at all of these encounters together. Encounters together. Because here's, here's the big idea for the day. Is that through the gospel every relationship that you have that I have every relationship can be transformed and it'll bring glory to God every relationship you have now I know some of you are saying you don't know some of the people I'm in relationship with I'm telling you the power of the gospel can transform those. So I want us to take a look at those three encounters with this in mind. Because the, the power of the gospel of Jesus when it's unleashed in your life can transform you sociologically. It can transform you psychologically. It can transform you emotionally. It can transform you relationally. It can transform you spiritually. It can transform you in every way. Now here's what the first encounter that we read about with Peter shows me. That the power of Jesus' gospel can transform our relationship, first of all, with ourselves. The relationship that we have, the understanding we have about ourselves. You, you, you see, you, we read this. This is a fairly well-known uh, event. Jesus is in a boat with Peter. And he tells Peter, put out from the shore and put your nets down. And, you know, when Jesus came up upon them, they were cleaning their net because they had fished all night and caught nothing. But now Jesus is saying, go back out, put them out. And now, again, just kind of imagine the conversations that, uh, as it would happen if I were having it. It'd probably be like, hey, Jesus, dude, you know, you're a carpenter, right? I'm, I'm, I'm Joe Fisherman. You, Jesus, you just don't get the fishing thing. You, we fished all night. They're not out there today. Okay? So, we don't, we don't think. Jesus said, go do it. And Peter says, well, because you say so, I will. And so, Peter goes and he does it. He lets down their net. And then there's this life-changing, miraculously huge moment. In, in, in Peter's life. And the net is so filled that he can't get it all. And he starts bringing it in. His boat begins to sink. He calls for his, his partners. They bring their boat up. There, there's, can you imagine the joyous chaos? I mean, the fish are jumping into the boat. I mean, literally, it's kind of what happened. They're just jumping. The boat's starting to sink. And in, in a moment of incredible, chaotic joy, what happens to Peter? He realizes who's in the boat. 
and he falls apart. And he just says, you got to get away from me, man. You have got to get away from me. I am a wretched sinner, Lord. Get away from me. That, that, that's, that's what goes on in, in, in this encounter. Because what, what is happening right here. Now, th- th- there is this, there's this quake going on. There's an identity quake, a self-quake that's going on in Peter's life. And something that I, I want to point out, you, you may not have seen it before, but I, I, I want you to see this. In this encounter that Jesus is having with this particular disciple, he starts out by calling him Simon. About midway through the encounter, he now calls him Simon Peter. The next time he calls him Peter... And that's what he's called through the remainder of the Gospel of Luke until you get to the very end where Jesus is trying to reinforce something about Peter's identity and he calls him Simon again to make a point, I think. But but what's happening is there, there is an identity quake going on in this moment. Jesus, through the power of his life, through the power of his message, is transforming Peter's identity. See, the gospel has the ability to do that. The gospel, when you come in contact with it for the very first in real time, the gospel will quake you at your soul because you will realize, like you've never realized before, how horrible and wretched you are. It it will come into very, very clear focus, like it did with Peter. I am a wretched person in the sight of God. Now, that's going to happen immediately. But there's something that happens almost simultaneously with that moment. Is Jesus then does something and and incredibly happens. See, that that, that was the very first thing that happened. Peter falls down, it tells us in verse 8. He says, get away from me. That's the thing that happens when Jesus begins his work in your life. The first thing that happens is you get a worse view of yourself than you've ever had. Your puffed up self-image, your inflated ego gets deflated. You just get demolished. You're wrecked. And you realize it and you admit it to God. You 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 don't care who's around. You just admit it to God when you're overwhelmed by the power of the gospel. That's step one. But step two, and I hope you notice this. Well, let me say this first. How many of you have ever been into like the greeting card section of a Hallmark store in the religious section and you get to those cards that, that talk about how near God is? Okay? Have you ever noticed what color they are? They're beautiful pastels. Just beautiful, peaceful pastels. And there's like light coming through a stained glass window. And it's warm and it's toasty and you just want to hug yourself. The, the people who design those cards do not know the God of the Bible. Anybody who has their first encounter who gets near to the God of the Bible is traumatized. You look at Moses, I mean PTSD sets in immediately. They are overwhelmed. You look at Moses, you look at Abraham, you look at Paul. You look, when they come in contact with God really being near to them, it undoes you. You're, you're, you're overwhelmed by that. And that happened to Peter. But simultaneously, at the, the exact moment that he's in the middle of his trauma because he's drawn near to God and he's overwhelmed with how, how wretched he is and he, he's giving up control now. He's, he's, he's letting go because he's overwhelmed with the power. And now suddenly something else happens. Jesus, 
after he takes Peter through this first part of the quake, takes him to kind of step two in the quake. Because now in the moment when all of, all of Peter's defenses, all of his illusions, all of his denial, all of his visions of grandeur of who he is are, are blown up, all of it's kind of out on the big screen, Jesus then steps in and says, I want you to be with me. I mean, right in the middle of this there's, this, there's this unbelievable moment of sorrow in Peter's life. And now suddenly Jesus is going to affirm Peter more deeply than he's ever been affirmed in his whole life. He, he's going to feel as far away as he possibly could from, from humanity. But now suddenly he's being invited back. Look, look what Jesus said to him in verse 10. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, man. Don't, don't be afraid. From now on you're going to be catching men. Now, that, that's an interesting phrase there. But basically what Jesus is saying to Peter, I don't want you to experience those feelings any longer. I, I want you to follow me. Now, if you go to, to Matthew's account and Mark's account of this, and Matthew 4 and Mark 1, th that language actually gets used. Jesus actually says to, to, to Peter and to the others there, follow me. I, I want you to come in. Follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. When Jesus invites Peter to follow him, here's what he's not saying. Hey, Pete, why don't you come take a little class? Got this really cool class, spiritual growth, I want you to come take. Come on. That is not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, I want you to be in my family. I want you to go with me everywhere I go. I want you to become part of my mission to transform the world. Yes, I know that you're a wicked, sinful man. I mean, he's, he's probably still on his knees right there. Remember, it said he grabbed Jesus' knees. He's probably still on his knees in fear, awe, unbelievable fear. And she said, don't be afraid. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go catch fish. No, we're going to go catch men. We're going to go do so. All of this is happening simultaneously. There's this moment in time where you're infinitely more aware of your flaws than you've ever been. But at the same time, there's this covering that comes when you encounter the gospel. When you encounter Jesus for the very first time. There's this, this quaking of yourself and you begin to be transformed. It's different from any experience you will have ever experienced if you haven't experienced yet. And you'll never get over it. You'll never completely get over it. But there's a third part to this transformation in, in his identity that I want you to pick up on. Look at verse 11. It says, they left everything and followed him. What did they leave? They left their nets. They left their boats. They left the biggest pile of fish they'd ever seen. Now, we read that and think, you know, fish, yeah. That, 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 we, I get that. You know, they left their nets and they, they left. But, but you got to understand what, what this was is Peter was, he had now arrived vocationally. Peter was at the apex. He was at the pinnacle of his career as a fisherman. He, he would now, the, the catch they had would now be stuff of legends. His peers would have been awed by him. The wealth associated with this hall would have been unbelievably incredible. He was at the top of his game. It was gonna, he wasn't going to get any higher. And what did Jesus say then? Walk away from it. Walk away from it and come follow me. 
Now, does that mean that when you encounter the gospel, that immediately you got to change your vocation and become a full-time Christian, you know, servant? No, that's not what it means. But what it does mean here is that when the gospel really comes into your life, when it really hits you where, where you're at, when it, when it lands in your soul, it will affect every part of your life. It's going to impact you everywhere. It will become that which sets your priorities. And what that will do is it will give you freedom from a vocation that may have overwhelmed you. Because so often we identify ourselves with our vocation. So much so, think about it this way. How many of you know somebody with the last name of Smith? If, okay, put your hands down. If you are somebody with the last name of Smith, raise your hand. Okay? There, there, is a, there is attached to that an identity, vocationally. Have you ever heard of Tanner? Somebody last name? Taylor? Carpenter? You know? There, there, have you ever noticed and just really thought about the numbers of names that are associated with vocations? You know? There, there are all of these things. Baker? Fisher? All, all of these things. You know why? Because one of the primary ways that human beings identify themselves is predicated upon their vocation. One of the ways people's self-worth is built, the, the, way they, the way they describe how their worth is located in their work. Now, there's not evil in that unless what happens is it's the only way you get a sense of self. If the only way you really get a sense of self is through your accomplishments, because of what you do, or the money you make, or whatever associated with that, if the main reason that you do that work is to get some sense of self, then here's the reality, you're a slave. You're, you're, you're enslaved. And here's how you know it, you can't put it down. You, you can't put it down at night. You, could, you can't put it down on weekends. You can't put it down to rest. You can't put it down for family. When things aren't going really well, you can't put it down. Now, does, does it bother you uh, that that's true and you, do you just feel like crap on the inside? Yeah, but you, you can't put it down. Not to enjoy anything else. You're a slave to that. But the gospel can set you free. The, the gospel can give you a power so that you're no longer enslaved to that. But here's, here's what you've got to understand about the gospel. In order for this to work for you, you've got to understand there's got to be another kind of fishing beyond the fishing you're doing. You've got to understand there's a different kind of wealth beyond the wealth that you're gaining. So Jesus shows up on the scene that day and he says, I got a mission. And, and, and my mission, I'm here to heal the whole world. I'm here, here to transform it. And he, and he says to, to Peter and to the others there, follow me and we're going to go catch men. Now that, that translation gets a little goofy for us. We don't, may not really understand it. Let me ask you this. If I, if I were to say, let's go catch some fish, what's going to happen to those fish? We're going to take them out of their environment and what's going to happen to them? They're dying. And if they're salmon, I'm going to enjoy them immensely. Okay? But they're, 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 we're pulling them out and dying. The phrase that Jesus is using here about catching men is actually a military phrase. And it's used most often in, in that day to mean we want you to capture the enemy alive. 
We want you to catch them in such a way that they are, they are living. That's what Jesus is saying. We are going out into the enemy camp and we're going to bring people back alive. Jesus says, I'm on a mission. And I'm going to liberate people psychologically and sociologically and emotionally and spiritually in every other way. And guess what? Come on. We're going to do this together. Could you imagine if you're looking for purpose and meaning in life? Oh my goodness, what it would be like to have Jesus invite you into that. And, and invite you into it while you're on your knees being scared to death that you're in the presence of God. All of, the, all of this is happening in, in just, just one incredible moment. But that's what happens when you encounter the gospel. Only this kind of meaning and purpose in life can move you out from the slavery to break the shackles if your vocation has that over you. See, the gospel of Jesus comes into your life and it starts reconstructing every, every nook and cranny. Every space that's there. It, it begins to transform your relationship with yourself, your identity. What, what you use to identify yourself, where you get your worth, starts in here. The second thing that the power of the gospel of Jesus does is it can transform our relationship with others. It can do us psychologically and emotionally, vocationally. But there's a sociological change that begins to happen when you let the gospel have its way in your heart. And we see this in the second encounter that Jesus has here with the leper. Now, the word leprosy in the Bible... Has It's kind of a very broad term that covers uh, kind of a skin diseases. And some of them were very severe and debilitating and disfiguring. Some of them were a little mild. Many were contagious, but many were not. But here's the deal. That part really doesn't matter. That's not the part that really matters the most. And until you understand that, the story, this event, this encounter won't make fullness of sense. It won't touch your heart. See, until you understand that leprosy isn't primarily about the physical deal, you won't get it. Lepers, when they got the disease, they became social outcasts. They became emotional outcasts. They were not allowed into cities. They weren't allowed into towns. They became economically impoverished. They were emotionally and socially and completely cut off from others. Nobody could even touch them. And they weren't allowed to touch anyone. They were completely isolated. They were uh, utterly destroyed economically, isolated emotionally. And on top of that, in, in this culture, in, in, in the nation of Israel in Jesus' time, they became what was known as ceremonially unclean. Which means they were cut off from the temple. They could not worship God. They couldn't be in the presence of God. They were cut off from the worshiping community. They were completely cut off in every way that you could imagine. They were cut off. So when you and I see this word leper, we need to understand it's not mostly about the physical condition. That's not the main point of the healing that Jesus is about to bring. Now, one of the, the things that we know about in this story is, is Jesus, it tells us, is in a city. And guess who shows up in the city? A leper. Now, the only way that that leper could have gotten in front of Jesus is if he were on the outside of the city, had heard where Jesus was, and ran. The Bible says he comes and falls at his feet. He, he heard where Jesus was and he made a beeline because people would have stopped him if they could. The, the guards would have stopped him. They would have sent him back out of the city. But he, he runs to Jesus. He, he falls at Jesus' feet. And he asks Jesus to heal him. And did you notice what Jesus did first? What did he do? 
The Bible says that Jesus stretched out his arm and he touched him. Verse 13. He just, the, the, the immediate response of Jesus is the exact opposite immediate response of everybody else. Jesus immediately reaches out and touches the man. Why? Why would he touch him? Now somebody, somebody might think, well, because he, he needs to physically heal him. So he's got he, he's to touch him in order to do that. Now, when we get down to the, the, the last story about the paralytic, no, no place is it mentioned that Jesus touched him. It doesn't mention that Jesus touches him. If, if you go over to Matthew chapter 8, um, there's this moment in time when a, a centurion comes to, to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, uh, he's a Roman centurion, he says, My servant is back home and he is sick. Um, would you heal him? And Jesus says, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll follow you home. And the guy says, you don't have to do that. And, and Jesus said, wow, credible faith. Your belief has made your servant well. Go home, he's healed. And the servant, the Bible tells us, was healed in that moment. Jesus didn't even have to be anywhere near the guy. We don't know where he was. He might have been, you know, a, a town or two away. He might have been right there in the city. We don't know. But now Jesus is reaching out and touching this man because this man needed a touch that was beyond a physical touch. Because, see, Jesus' concern is to bring this man into community because he's been so marginalized. To bring him back into relationships so he could be reestablished economically, so he could be reestablished emotionally, so he could be reestablished socially. Jesus is concerned about all of that. He cares about what's going on in this man's life. And so in verse 14 he says, go to the priest. Go, go to the priest to prove that you're now clean. Friends, if you will study the Gospels, this is something you're seeing at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that happens, especially in Luke, over and over and over and over again. When you go through the Gospels, something really strange begins to rise up. Here's what you're going to see. There's a disproportionate number of the numbers of people that the world would say are losers, that the world would consider outcasts, that the world would say are unimportant, that the world would consider as people who are defiled, and Jesus is reaching out to them. And Jesus is reaching out, touching them, and he's pulling them in. He's bringing them near to himself. And he very often, this is incredible, he very often makes them leaders in his kingdom movement. It's just, it's unbelievable. See, Jesus takes the people the world sees at the bottom, and he sees outside, you know, that we see as outsiders, and Jesus brings them in. He draws them near to himself. Some of you have, uh, have asked some questions recently because of some things that have gone on in our convention and in other churches. Um, in our convention, uh, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer, um, has raised up the issue that in, in, in church life, very often, uh, well, he, he points out that there is an epidemic of um, a struggle of, of children being molested. And sexual advances being made on, on the week. And people are praying on one another. And he's raising that up and he's pointed out. There are some churches that we need to deal with. We need to discipline as a convention. Churches who look the other way and try to sweep this stuff under the rug. We, we, need, to, we need to push that aside. Uh, some of you will remember maybe that not, not this past February. But the February before last we did a message um, related to the hashtag MeToo movement. 
because we looked into our culture and said there is great sin and, and God is shaking our culture up. And God is, God is bringing out what's been hidden and he's bringing it to light. And so as a result of that and some other things that God was doing in our midst, our elders felt compelled that we needed to address some issues differently than we have been. And so last May... We set out to write what we called um, what became a, a policy, a new policy for River Bluff Church as it relates to registered sex offenders. And we, we began working on this and it, it's, it's been one of the most difficult journeys I've ever been on uh, that our elders have under, ever undertaken. We, we have this policy. It's, it's part of our church now. We're, we'll put it on the website soon. I'll get you a hard copy if you want a hard copy of it. But here's what we set out to do. We set out to create as best we could a place where our kids can be protected and families can be protected and, and people can be protected. And those who are on the registered sex offenders registry could be protected from false accusation. Because we understood as we were putting this together that this wasn't about just protecting a certain class or citizenry of people among us. This was for everybody. And that we had to come up with a way to do that. And so we worked very, very hard to do that because we want to say to the world that the gospel is for anybody. No matter what you've done, no matter how long you've done it, the gospel is for anybody because everybody is created in the image of God. They bear the image of God. And so we set out to design a pathway for, for those who in our culture, I think you would agree, are the lepers among us in many ways. And so we set out to create a pathway that says you can come to River Bluff Church and you can be protected on this pathway and you can find community on this pathway and you can get connected to the power of the gospel so that Jesus can transform your life no matter who you are or what you've done you're welcome here and that's what our elders have done and we've done it because we believe in the power of the gospel to change anybody because here's the deal if the gospel cannot change anybody the gospel can change nobody And we have to be gripped by that reality. And we see Jesus over and over again reaching down into what we would consider to be the lowest of the low and bringing them up. And there is no way that we can be the church of the resurrected Jesus Christ unless we're doing the same thing. Now, do we have to do it and be adamant about protect absolutely are we going to absolutely um, one of the things that's happening uh, right now things are being implemented so that within the next two or three weeks we're going to have monitors in all of our in, in all of our preschool classrooms and in some more of our hallways there's going to be a giant 50 50 inch screen with all of those those cameras running all the time so if you're a parent you can just walk up and see what's going on in your classroom those are things that we're doing because we want to be the church that Jesus has called us to be that provides protection and pathways to the gospel for everybody. That's where we're heading. Because Jesus takes the people, the world sees at the bottom, the world sees as outcasts, and he brings them all in. 
And so when you see Jesus interacting with Gentiles, he crosses racial boundaries. When you see Jesus interacting with women, with women that we would have called women of ill repute at one day, Jesus is bringing them in. He brings gender outsiders, racial outsiders. He looks at lepers, uh, tax collectors who, who were the political outsiders of the day. Jesus looks at them and he brings them all in because that's who Jesus is. And oftentimes he releases them for kingdom miracle work. Why? Because that's the only way the gospel comes to anybody. See, Jesus was not the Messiah the world expected. He, he wasn't somebody that came and took power. Jesus gave power away. Jesus became weak. Jesus, Jesus was somebody who served. Jesus was somebody who died on a cross. You know? This is how the gospel comes into to all of our lives. That, that, that way. Jesus comes serving and loving and, 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 and sacrificing. See, we don't get the gospel in our lives by, by being strong and accomplished. We, we only get the gospel in our lives by admitting we're helpless. We're not strong. We're not accomplished. We don't get the power of the gospel released in our lives because we become a slick negotiator with God. We only get the power of the gospel in our lives when we just utterly, completely surrender to him. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus. It's the pattern. It's the way that we receive it and it's the way we, it, it achieves in our life. It's the only way that change comes. It's the only way that your heart will be changed is when it starts changing the way you see others. And those distinctions no longer matter. You will know that the gospel is transforming your life. I hope you see that in this, in this encounter that Jesus had. You know, there, there's this transition here that, you know, I want you to see in verses 12 and 13. Jesus reaches out to this man and he says, be clean. Be clean. Now, this, Jesus is in that moment. He's not only shattering the Old Testament ceremonial law, but he's also shattering every world religion on the planet. Any, any religion, see religion is this, I got to be really good and if I follow all the rules and I really do everything the way that I'm supposed to, then God's got to love me and he's got to take me to where he is. That's what you would consider becoming clean. That's what becoming clean would look like. And throughout the, the, the history of religion, and you see it here in the Old Testament, anytime something that was clean came in contact that was something that was unclean, what happened to the clean thing? Unclean. Anytime something clean touched something unclean, you know, if you, weren't, if you weren't clean, if you weren't fit for the presence of God, you were considered to be unclean. That's how religion works. So Jesus comes and he touches this man and he blows all of that up. That whole religious system. He blows the, the ceremonial Old Testament laws up. Here's the deal. If Jesus was going to go by the ceremonial laws, when he touched that, that guy with leprosy, what, what would have happened? He'd have went, oh no, I'm unclean. Must get purified. Is that what Jesus did? Why? Why didn't Jesus have to go get purified? Did he, did he go, whoops, made a mistake? See, here's what Jesus was doing when he did that. He was intentional. Jesus was saying... I am cleanliness. I am fitness for the presence of God. 
There is no other way that you will ever be made fit, clean, to be in God's presence except through me. And Jesus says, I don't care how stained you are. I don't care how tainted you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your past record is. The minute I touch you, the minute my life overwhelms your life, you're put right with God. Now, how is that possible? Every other religious on the planet says, let me show you three neat ways to make you fit for the presence of God. That's what every religion does. Let me show you really cool ways to do that. Jesus just shows up and says, it's just me, baby. It's, it's just me. I am the fitness. And once I touch you, you're healed. And that brings us to this last encounter. The last encounter is that, that we see here. We're going to see how the power of the gospel transforms our relationship with God. First with ourselves, then with others, but then with God. And the third encounter is with this guy who's a paralytic. He's, he's immobile. And he has these friends and they apparently love him because they bring him to the house where they hear Jesus is. And Jesus is in the center of the house. And it's so crowded that they can't get to him. They can't get in the doors. They can't get in the windows. So they go up on the roof. They start tearing the roof away so that they can lower this man down in front of Jesus. In verse 20, it happens. They've lowered this guy down in the middle of this whole whole crowd he's right in front of Jesus and in verse 20 what does Jesus say man your sins are forgiven you now when Jesus said that phrase you know what he did he ticked two groups of people off immediately the first group that I think he ticked off and this is in my, my, my sanctified imagination but if I were one of those friends and Jesus, I, get, I go through all this trouble and I get this guy in front of Jesus and what Jesus says is, your sins are forgiven. I said, what? Dude, I drugged this guy from the other city. You know, we hauled his butt all the way over here. I, I'm probably going to get sued for ripping a hole in a roof. And you're going to forgive his sins? How about, how about let's say, walk, get up. Come on, Jesus, let's, let's do something. Your sins are forgiven? Well, there's another group who he upset by making that statement. And it's the Pharisees. And we know they're ticked off. Verse 21 tells us, they say, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? And here's what we learned from this encounter real quickly about them. They were, they were actually right. They were actually right about that. See, let, let, me, let me see if I can illustrate this way. Let's say, um, let's say Tom, Dick, and Harry come up here on stage with me. Okay? Let's say Tom, Dick, and Harry comes up here. And, and Tom, Tom goes over and he, he punches Dick in the nose. He, I mean, he just nails him. And Harry walks over to Tom and says, I forgive you. What, 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 what is Dick going to say to, to Harry? You can't forgive him. I'm the one with the bloody nose. You can't, you can't forgive a sin against me. See, when, when Jesus, when Jesus said, I'm, your sins are forgiven, man. What Jesus was doing is, Jesus was hanging out his shingle. Jesus was saying, God is in the house. The Pharisees knew it. The Pharisees recognized this. They, they knew that in the clearest possible way, when Jesus, when Jesus made that statement, your sins are forgiven, he was declaring 
that he was God in the flesh. He was declaring that when, when you lie, when you steal, when you cheat, you're breaking my commands. When you trample on a, a human being, you're, you're, that's my creation. That's somebody in, created in my image. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable claim. And you can just see the friends, you know, saying, come on, do something else, you know? And, and, and see, Jesus is saying, Jesus is making a point to the Pharisees, but I think he's also making a point to everybody else in the room. And, and I think his point is this. We think that the most pressing need in that man's life is the paralysis being healed. And Jesus has said, there's a disease under that disease. And if we don't deal with the disease under that disease, nothing else matters. We got to deal with that, that underlying disease. Because the underlying disease is the only thing that will ultimately destroy you. It's the only thing. It's the fundamental problem. And in order for the gospel, the power of life in me, to actually flow through you and transform you psychologically and sociologically and, and economically and relationally and physically, it has to first transform you spiritually. And see, so often what we do is we come to Jesus and say, will you help me with this? I got this problem. I got this. And it's okay to ask God to help you with this. But are you asking God, first of all, to transform you out of your sin condition? The, the, the disease under every other disease. J Jesus is like, you know, those other things. They, they pale in comparison to this one thing. We, nothing else can get put right till we start working on this. And in every single encounter that Jesus has, Jesus, I hope you notice this, Jesus affirmed the sin of everybody. When, when, when Peter says, get away from me, I'm a sinner, Jesus didn't say, no, you're not. Jesus said, I get that. Come on, come on in. This guy, unclean, runs up and says, I'm unclean. Jesus said, yeah, I see that. Come on in, come on in. This man gets lowered down in front of him and Jesus says, we got to deal with this sin issue first. And people in the room, you know, are, they're, they're blown away by this. And Jesus begins to see the skepticism. He sees what's forming in the room. And so Jesus gives them a riddle. You see the riddle in verse 23? Jesus basically says, riddle me this. Which is easier? Which is easier to say, and, and, and when he says, you know, which is easier, he's also saying which is harder. Which is, which is, which is harder to say, walk or to say your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus, Jesus is up to something here. He, he knows for both the friends and for the Pharisees and for probably most all of us in this room, we think it requires more power. We think it's more supernatural. We think it's more incredible to see a walking miracle. And Jesus is saying, that's nothing, man. That takes no effort on my part. But for me to be able to say to somebody, you're clean. For me to be able to say to somebody who is unforgiven, you're forgiven. It's going to take everything I have. It's going to take all that I am. It's going to take me going to a cross and removing all of those things. 
See, when Jesus went to the cross, he was mobile but became immobilized so that one day he could set free an immobilized man. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross because there was going to be this leper who needed acceptance. And the only way that Jesus was going to be able to grant him the full acceptance that this man desired was he was have, going to have to be accursed himself. He was going to have to be marred. He was going to have to become an outcast in the sight of his own father. Is it harder to say walk? Or is it harder to say be clean? Is it harder to say walk or your sins are forgiven? See, Jesus knew what it was going to cost him. Jesus knew what it, it was going to cost for the power of the gospel to get released in anybody's life. Do you realize that? There are three takeaways that I want to give you really quickly from what just kind of fell into my life this week. Three practical things. The first one is this. When it comes to the gospel, when it comes to trusting Jesus, you're going to have to be in it for the long term. You're going to have to be in it for the long term. You know, over and over again, we, we, see, we see this. Jesus, early in his relationship with Peter, he comes in his relationship with Peter in Luke 5. He says, Peter, I want you to do something outlandish. And Peter says, Jesus, come on, man. Doing that right now in the context of, you know, my night of fishing, this is really, really dumb. But because you say do it, I'll do it. And things just go crazy. He, it just, it blows up. It, it becomes unbelievable. You know, they bring, they bring this man to Jesus and there's this urgent need that he could walk. And Jesus says, no, it's not the most urgent thing there. There's something more going on that you need to see. See, here's the deal about Jesus. His agenda is never your agenda. You got a bucket list for Jesus. Things that you would like for him to take care of for you right now. All, you do. We all do. Jesus, take care of Jesus. Fix, Jesus. I'm telling you, his list and your list are not the same. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.